Good morning. I'm B.J. Stagner, pastor of Saren Chapel Independent Baptist Church. I hope and pray that today's sermon is a wonderful blessing to your heart and your soul. I want to encourage you to stay tuned at the conclusion of today's message for some vital information for you personally and those that are around you. For without further ado, here's today's sermon. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think, think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth through the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth through the Spirit shall love the Spirit and reap life everlasting. And, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Father, thank you again for the opportunity and time to be here this evening. We pray tonight that you please would give us the guidance, the grace, the mercy. And Lord, we pray that your word would speak to our hearts tonight, that you would open up the bowels of heaven and pour out this evening upon us that which we need, a clear, keen understanding of the word of God. So, Lord, we pray for the intervening hand of the Holy Spirit this evening, that your word would speak to us, dear God, and that it would change us, that it would affect us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. No, amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated, if you will. Beloved, the book of Galatians is a remarkable letter. It's, uh, it's written to the churches in Galatia uh, that was uh, planted, uh, uh, planted by the Apostle Paul um, in, in, during his first three mission journeys. So these are uh, all three mission journeys Paul had taken. He went through these cities here. We, we find in chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, and, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So it's a, a letter written not just to a singular church, but all of the church plants that were there in Galatia. Now, the cities of, of Galatia are known as Antioch and Pisidia, it's uh, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium. If you remember, guys, in, in Acts, and especially in Paul's early years there, as soon as he had taken the helm, right after John had, had went home to Mama, uh, it was in Lystra, Lystra where Paul was stoned to death, miraculously uh, rising again, if you will. Remember, he was dragged out of the city as dead, and and we also read in 1 Corinthians where he knew a man, where the end of the body or out of the body, he knows not. That was when Paul went to the third heaven and saw things that were unlawful for him to write. It was when he was stoned to death there in Lystra. So Paul rose and stood up, and uh, they were the, these people of Lystra were stirred up by the certain Jews, as Luke says, from Iconium and from Antioch of Pisidia. And don't confuse Antioch of Pisidia with Antioch in Syria, where they were first called Christians in Acts chapter 11. Paul would depart uh, Lystra, he'd go to Derby, but then he would retrace his steps coming back through uh, these same cities in Galatia. Guys, Paul, boldness encompassed Paul's life and demeanor. He comes back to the place where people desired him to be dead, okay? They, 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 they threw enough stones at him to kill him, okay? And he shows up in Derby, uh, mangled up, eyeballs falling out, all this and that. And then he goes right back to the place, through the same cities again, not only to the place where he was stoned to death, but also through those who stirred up those people to stone him. 
And I say all that to make this point. Boldness, yes, encompassed Paul's life and demeanor. His focus was for people to be saved and born again. Paul's focus wasn't on building bigger buildings. Paul's focus was not on having more programs. Paul's focus was people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then for them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ afterwards. Amen? He was determined to be what we're going to call a well-doing Christian. A well-doing Christian. The letter to the Galatian churches is a hallmark of Christian freedom. It speaks of liberty from the law and the power of sin, as well as freedom to serve our risen Savior. Most of the early church converts, guys, and leaders were Jewish Christians. Uh, uh, They had proclaimed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as their Messiah, if you will. But they would struggle with the dual identity because their previous religion was so linked to their heritage. Now, I say all that with an understanding heart in mind. Their Jewishness, though, constrained them to be strict followers of the law, even though they're saved and been set free from that law. Even when their their newfound faith had given them holy liberty to serve Jesus Christ in the manner that they did, they still found that strictness of the law binding them. So it wasn't a license to sin. It was quite the contrary. The freedom that we've been given in Christ Uh, Guys, removed the yoke that even their forefathers were unable to bear themselves. But the freedom and liberty that they gained, they struggled with applying in their life in practicality. So because of the uh, coming from a Jewish culture, as the chosen nation, and as of being strict followers of the law, many of them struggle with the idea of a Gentile, a Gentile dog, if you will, being saved just like they were. Hey, they're the chosen nation. So they struggle with the idea that these Gentile dogs who served pagans out there, who were nothing but pagans and filth and off score of the world, can now just come in and be saved like we are. So the early churches of Galatia were torn and divided greatly by this controversy. Greatly they were. Judaizers, which was an extreme faction of legalism within the church, began teaching that Christian Gentiles must submit to the tradition of Jewish law in addition to believing on Jesus Christ as their Savior. Circumcision and dietary laws were being forced upon these new believers. And this, guys, I've got to say this to you tonight. This is a mark of a cult when a dietary law or circumcision or anything is linked to your religion. Amen? Eat not this, not touch this. Paul talks about that. You know what I'm saying? That's the mark of a cult. And just mark that down tonight. So, anytime you're mandated to be as part of your salvation, we know that's something wrong. And, but Paul dealt with this. Paul dealt physically. He dealt personally. He dealt literally here in the literature that he wrote. But Paul dealt frankly and harshly with these teachers of such darkness. He did not, listen, he did not mix words. He was very clear in his rebuke. Uh, The point of his letter was to refute the erroneous teachings that these Judaizers had brought into the churches and assuring that the new converts, the new converts, uh, that salvation was by God's grace through faith and nothing else. That's what he was writing this letter for. So within this letter, Paul addresses the heresy of the Judaizers. He addresses their teaching 
He gives a personal testimony of his reception of the mysteries of Christ. Uh, his personal confrontation with church leaders uh, uh, who were uh, falling into this great divide. He, he brings forth Old Testament teachings uh, within this letter of uh, grace and the purpose of God's law in detailing the relationship between law and God's promise and Jesus Christ. So that's what, he, in all of these chapters, six chapters here of this letter, this is what Paul is dealing with. And he deals with it pretty harshly. There's a key verse. The key verse in Galatians is chapter 5, verse 1. A key verse of the letter is, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul was very clear with that. Once Paul laid the foundation, he begins to build his case for Christian freedom, establishing that we are free to love one another, free to serve one another, as well as carry one another's burdens. His final portion of his letter we find in chapter 6, where we're going to focus tonight, carries a heavy burden of personal responsibility. Not only the responsibility of others that are around you, not only the responsibilities of your neighbors and your fellow church member, and your, and your, not only your personal responsibility of carrying one another burden, but personal responsibility of one's self. An area today that we are greatly lacking. Beloved, one of the greatest missing characteristics in our society today is the lack of personal responsibility. And here is a truth that everyone should learn right here, right now. And I, but I mean, especially those who claim to be Christians. Guys, you are not owed anything in this life. If you want something, you work for it. Amen? The government should not exist to, to provide, you, provide for you. Those who work and labor tirelessly should not have to carry the burden of the lazy, the weak, and the criminal. I'm going to make that clear tonight, amen? This world owes you nothing, amen? Matter of fact, the only thing you're owed in this life is death, amen? Not even taxes for that matter. That's the only thing you're promised in this world today. So I'm going to say it to you again. The truth is that if you name the name of Christ tonight, you are not owed anything in this life. If you want something, work for it. The government should not exist to provide for you. And those who labor tirelessly every day, day in and day out, should not have to carry the burden for the lazy, the weak, and the criminal. I'll make my position clear. Beloved, social, socialistic ideologies didn't make it past one chapter in the book of Acts in the early church. Didn't make it past one chapter. Latter part of chapter 4. You got everybody selling everything. We all had things common, okay? Common. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 1, nope, he kept back part. Two people died. It doesn't work, man. So it didn't make it past one chapter in the early church, guys. But we as Christians, as believers tonight, must take personal responsibility for our actions, for our life, for our family, for our church. And yes, spiritually speaking, you should take responsibility for your fellow man. And this is probably going to rub somebody wrong. I'm sure it is. Matter of fact, Billy Sunday, when Billy Sunday one time, he was accused of his type of preaching. He was accused, he says, Billy, you're always stroking the cat backwards. You know what his answer was? Turn the cat around. Amen? If it rubs you wrong, maybe you need to turn around. Amen, preacher? This is what, this is, what is brought to us in chapter 6, guys. This is what Paul, Paul is bringing, the, 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 the greatness of what personal responsibility in our Christian life is to be. In verse 8, uh, the first eight verses build up to what our text is going to be this evening. So if you look there in Galatians chapter 6 and you see in verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. 
this is a direct statement to those who are spiritual. Beloved, if you call yourself spiritual, or if you act as if you're spiritual, or if you want to be known as if you're spiritual, then stop kicking the brethren when they are down. Lift them up, amen. Help them all the while. Consider yourself lest the same thing happen to you. Amen. Verse 2. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We fulfill the law of Christ when and only when we bear one another's burdens. Guys, none of us in here are as strong as all of us. In our Faith Rx a couple weeks ago, we, we had that partner work out, and then when I gave the devotion that day, we added up the tally of what the partner worked out, how much weight each partner lifted, and how many reps this person did and that person did, and we put it to the cold, hard fact that not one person in that room or in that gym, amen, could lift the total weight, okay, that the partners did. That's clear. You totally love the weight. Dabith and I were in a uh, competition five, six years ago, and, and, and one, of the, one of the workouts was, um, was a combined total of push press, I remember. You know, and, and he and I both wanted to hit a certain number, so our number would be, uh, you know, over the 200 mark. And we were over the 200 mark when we combined our numbers together. But neither one of us are going to get up underneath 200-plus kilos and push press the thing. It's going to squash us, Amen. Guys, we bear one another's burdens. We fulfill the law of Christ when we work together and when we lift and help one another out. Verse 3. For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceived himself. Guys, this is a command to humility. Too many today think they live and exist above others. This is 100% anti-scriptural. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, but before honor... Is humility. Same thing is said in Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. If you want honor in this world, bring some humility into your life. Amen, preacher. Verses 4 through 7, guys, the Bible tells us here, it says, But let every man prove his own work, and then uh, shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. For every, man's, uh, every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. This is personal responsibility, okay? Personal responsibility. You are responsible to do the work that you can do. You're not responsible to do the work that I can do, amen? You're responsible to do your own work. This is your responsibility. Now look in verses 7 and 8, the universal law of reaping and sowing. This is the, every, every, every pagan, every cult, every false belief in this world today has copied this universal law of sowing and reaping. Where there was a Native, a Native Americans, uh, where they had the prayer wheel, or what comes around goes around, okay? It's the same principle. Uh, the Hindus call it karma. They are all pagan beliefs, yes. They're not going to get you to heaven, but they all duplicate this universal sow, law of sowing and reaping. Verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth through the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth through the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Universal law of sowing and reaping. And now we get to our text tonight. Having taken on board all that Paul has said, from the doctrinal issues in his early chapters of the letter, from the rebukes in, the, in those chapters, from the personal testimony that he gives, the sharp statement uh, uh, in astonishment that Paul says in Galatians 1, verse 6, saying, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He says, man, I, I'm blown away. I've taught you the right things, and now you're moved to another gospel. You're going to believe that you're going to mix law and grace, that you're going to take uh, works and, and faith and put them together, and that's what's going to give you salvation. He goes, I marvel that you're, who, he said, who did, who, who, did, who did trick you? Who betwixt you? 
Who's messing with your mind, he's saying. He clearly establishes the truth that they were being drawn away. Listen carefully. They were being drawn away from what brings us to a two-word target, and that is well-doing. Well-doing. We can say doing well or doing good or doing right or living right, walking right, talking right, spitting white, whatever. We can say all those things tonight. The Bible says well-doing. I met up online today with a, <clears throat> uh, an old teammate of mine. I hadn't talked to him in ages. We graduated together in uni. And uh, his name's Ryan Watchorn. You know what Ryan Watchorn was known for? He's a good guy. He's a good guy. I told Denise about him here a while back, a few weeks back, and uh, got on the phone, got on the yeah, it was one of the video calls. I can't remember what format it was, Google something. And uh, we talked about an hour, a little hour plus, about just, just a lot of things. It was a great meetup with him. I said, God bless you and praying for you. I said the same to him. But I remember him, I remember him throughout our days, all of our practices and teams and games and school. And he was a good guy, man. And I think back to the testimony that a lot of people have. And I think back to that, and I, and I look at it, and I think tonight, what do we want to be known for? What do we want to be seen in doing? How do we want God to see us in our life? A Christian that is well-doing. Verse 9 tells us very clearly tonight, let us not be weary in well-doing. He says, for in due season we shall reap, and here's the conditional clause, if we faint not. Have you ever thought about you ever thought, is it worth it? You ever sat back and thought, good night, man, is it worth this price? I mean, how many of us are challenged with the thought of well-doing in the life, I mean, in this life, only to hit struggle after struggle after obstacle after obstacle to pour down upon your head? How many of us have sat back and honestly said, and why in the world? Is it worth well doing? Oftentimes, guys, you're going to question whether or not you should do the right thing. Oftentimes, if you labor in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you're going to be stricken with the idea of, am I even making a difference? Beloved, well doing, listen carefully, well doing is a continuum. It's not something you do on Saturdays. It's not something you do here. It's something that you do with your life. Yes, is it habitual? Absolutely it's habitual. But it's a lifestyle. Now let me answer that question for you. It's more than worth it. Amen. It's more than worth it. So I ask you this question tonight. How many of us have been challenged to in, in, in well-doing of our time? Our time. You know, there's 24 hours in a day, and eight, eight of those hours, most people are going to spend working. Another eight going to spend sleeping, leaving you another eight hours to witness, have time with family, pray, eat, fellowship, etc. And often, you know, often it seems like, guys, you know what? I just don't have enough time to do well. I just don't have enough time for well doing. Read the verse again with me. For he that so, I'm mean, sorry, for, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If there wasn't enough time to be a well-doing Christian, if there wasn't enough time to well-do in this life, 
there wouldn't be a verse that tells us to. God is not going to tell you anything in this book for you to do that you're not capable of doing. Amen? He's not going to require you to, 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 to do something that He's not equipped you to do or that is not possible. He's not a sadist. He's a loving God. Amen? And we will reap if we faint. Now, by the way, the word faint doesn't mean fallen from grace. I've heard men in times past butcher this verse saying, there's a condition we can't faint. Don't faint. You know, the perseverance of the saints and all that heresy. Amen. I tell you, Calvinists are just heretics. I'm going to make it clear tonight. I know I'm online. Don't care. Don't call me either. I want to talk to you. All right. You're a heretic if you believe Calvinism. Amen. Make it crystal clear tonight. And I don't care about losing friends because I know, as far as I know, I don't have any Calvinistic friends. Amen. I may have Calvinistic acquaintances. And if they don't want to call, don't call either. Amen. I got you, Calvin. Amen. You got me. To faint, guys, in this context here in verse 9, has nothing to do with your salvation. It means to be weakened or dissolved. It means to be unfaithful. It means to be loose in your performance. It means to stop. Amen. It means to not do. There's a book called uh, Time for God. It's a very good book. And there's a, there's a mathematically, in that book, there's a, um, uh, a mathematically calculated schedule. It's really neat. And, and in the book, it compares the lifetime of three score and ten, which you know is 70 years, with the hours of a single day from 7 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. And it's kind of neat. Watch this. So if your age is 15 years old, according to that clock, it, the time is 1025 in the morning. If you're 20, it's 1134 in the morning. If you're 25, it's 1242. If you're 30, um, it's a, a 151. If you're 35, you know that's a halfway mark of 70 years, it's 3 p.m. All right? So think about it. You've got 24 hours in a day. Then you've got your waking moments, which, you know, takes that, shrinks that down quite, quite extensively. And so when you apply the 70 years of a lifetime in the realm of a clock or your waking hours to do something for God, if you're 45 years old, that's 516 in the evening. If you're 55, that's 734. Notice I skipped 50. If you're 65, that's 951. And guess what? If you're 70 years old, if you're 70, that's 11, that's a, that's 11 p.m. That's bedtime. Amen. <laughs> they don't have a clock. They don't have a clock to fit you, can they? Amen. Uh, so I'm, I'm asking the question, when you think about it in those terms, what will you do for the rest of your day according to that clock? I mean, will you be well-doing within your time in this day? Will you be well-doing in your lifetime, in the remaining hours, the remaining days, the remaining weeks, the remaining months of your life? And think about the clock of time. Think about the, 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 the clock of our lifetime. It doesn't go backwards. Once the, the bell tolls, it's done. Coach Bobby Bowden said, don't go to the grave with a life unused. Powerful words. So are we, are we well doing in our time? Probably going to lose you guys on this next point. But are we well doing in our treasure? With our treasure? Are we well doing with our treasure? My friend, this is tithing. This is what it is. 
And before you say tithing is of the law and we're now made free, first off, tithe was way before the law. Amen? Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek, who is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, if the tithe was required uh, when the blood, blood of bull and goats was covering our sins, how much more is required when the perfect sinless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, cleanseth of our sins. There's a difference between covering and cleansing, amen. There's a difference between removing it as far as the east is from the west and then just putting something over it, amen. You see the verse already, Malachi 3, 8 says, Will a man rob God? He says, Yet ye have robbed me, but you say, Wherein have we robbed God? In tithes and offerings. Last time I checked that word and, according to a, a Schoolhouse Rock on Saturday mornings when I was growing up, that's a conjunction. It connects two things. It's not or. It says and. Beloved, the tithe is a starting point. We have not begun to give until we get past the tenth. Amen? 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay up in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Storehouse given is Bible given. And by the way, the storehouse is the local New Testament church, not charities, not magazines. A missionary one time was teaching on tithing to his church, and, and one morning a young Christian uh, came to the missionary's door, and he knocked on the door, and he had a fishing pole in one hand, he had a fish in the other, and he says, here's my tithe, Amen. Missionary asked, he says, well, where's the rest of the fish? And, uh, you know, because it looked like he had just come back from fishing. He says, where's the rest of the fish? He goes, oh, they're in the river. He goes, I want to give God, God uh, I want to give his first. Amen. That's pretty good. I mean, but the Bible teaches to be right with God. We have to perform the, time, the storehouse given. The storehouse is a local New Testament church. The church is operating function from tithes and offerings, not bake sales and rummage sales. Amen. Let me make it abundantly clear tonight. All right. I want you to listen very carefully. 10% is 10% of the gross, not the net. If you make 1,200 pounds a week before taxes, the first thing that comes off the top is 120 pounds, period. That's God's, amen? That's the bare minimum. You still haven't given anything. You're only giving back to God what's all is His. I mean, that's the equivalent of you finding my wallet, and I don't carry a wallet, but you, it's the equivalent of you finding my wallet in the church pew full of cash, which it wouldn't be, but full of cash, amen, and then coming and bringing it back to me. Well, that's a nice gesture. That's nice, but I want you to think about this. When we say, well, that's a nice thing to do, that, that was good. He gave your wallet back to you. How kind is that? Do you know what we're doing? Yes, it's a nice thing to do, but let's be honest. We are looking at that act through the lens of today's culture right? Today's culture, let's call it what it is, is criminal, all right? You know, and I hope somebody gets on and hears this. The Asda carts are Asdas. They're not yours to take home, you big dummy, amen? Leave them at Asda. Quit dragging them through the path and throwing them in the river, amen? Come on, my soul. I said all that to say this. When we think we've done something great, a great thing by giving back to someone what's already theirs that wasn't ours to take. That's called thievery if you take that, okay? If you give me my wallet back with my cash in it and you take a tenner out of there, you stole from me, amen? When we fail to give the 10%, we steal from God. But the Bible says tithe and offerings, guys. Listen, don't be shaky with me now. It ain't time to, well, it might be time to leave. We're not leaving yet, Amen? So let me say this, and I'll move on tonight. If you fail to give biblically, 
which is above and beyond the 10%, and to your local church. Charities, accounts, and all that stuff, that doesn't count. I'm just going to go ahead and call it like it is, guys. It doesn't count. Tithe and missions go through the local New Testament church. So that's Bible. And you say, well, preacher, we got all these charities set up here to do all this work around the world because the church is closed down. Yes, they did. I understand that. And you did what you needed to do while they were shut. This one ain't shut anymore, amen? But when you don't, when you fail to do that, guys, you're robbing from God. And when you rob from God, you know what you're doing? You fainted. You fainted. And if you faint, you're not going to reap in due season. Now, by the way, before you come to me and you start saying, Preacher, you don't understand my bills, I'm going to go ahead and call this out like it is, too, while we're on the topic. You probably wouldn't have those bills if you'd given to God correctly. Amen? Furthermore, I know what it's like to have a child, a pregnant wife, a dog, living in a trailer at about 50 pounds to our name and no, and no end inside of future paycheck coming. Me giving her what cash we had said, honey, this is what we have for groceries. You're going to have to do something with it because I don't know when the next check's coming. By the way, I gave her the $70, but I gave her the 50-pound after tithe, after mission, and after every bills was paid. So before you come to me tonight, well, preacher, you don't understand what bills I have. You give to God right, he'll, he'll take care of your bills, amen? I give all that glory to God. I've always told a, a story in a third person, but um, I'm going to go and tell you like it is. My mom and daddy, my dad was a school teacher. My mom worked at a, at a Votech school. She was a secretary for the director there, or the principal head guy, whatever he was. You know, not doctors, lawyers, you know what I'm saying? But they were out of church, not tithing for probably a good decade. I got saved. I got born again in the blood of Christ. Brother Ellis went over there and saw my mom and dad, got them in church. They got hooked in. And you know what they committed to do? They committed not only to pay their tithes for that year, their missions for that year, they went back those decades when they robbed God, and they paid back every penny with interest, both tithe, offering, and missions. And they did it in a 12-month time. Now, I'm going to tell you how that was. You know what? They, they sacrificed. They sold cars. They drove an old, beat-up car around. Yeah, they, they sacrificed, and they paid the price for it. But God blessed them for it. Here, we never missed a meal, and we never missed a bill, but we never missed a tithe and a missions payment. God will bless you. I'm telling you, you rob God, you're going to have every bill known to man. I'm not going to sit here and go, go over the list of them, but I can tell you time and time and time again, when I turn the key over on a card, I'm like, Lord, just crank it up one more time, get us from here to there, and it will crank up. That's God. Amen? Well, enough on that subject now, wasn't it? It gets cold, gets quiet when you start hitting in that area. Amen? I'm just trying to tell you guys tonight, I'm just being honest. If, you're gonna, if you want to be in the well-doing crowd, you're going to have well-doing with your time. You have well-doing with your time. Lastly, you're going to be well-doing with your talent. Now, guys, I don't know what your talent is, but I do know this. One, you have a talent. Two, you need to use it for the Lord. Sir Edwin Lancier was one of the most famous painters in the Victorian area. His talent developed at an early age, and uh, his first show was at the Royal Academy and when he was just 13 years old. He was commissioned to do a number of official portraits of, by the, of, the, of the royal family, even private drawing lessons he gave to Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Now, that's something else on a the resume there, buddy. 
that he was best known for his depictions of natural settings and life in the Scottish Highlands. One day he was visiting a family, uh, visiting a family in the old mansion in Scotland, and one of the servants spilled a pitcher of soda water, which could have led to a problem, leaving a large stain on the wall. So while the family was out that day, Lancia remained behind, and he took some charcoal, and he incorporated the stain into this beautiful drawing on the wall. And when the family returned, uh, returned home, they found a picture of a waterfall surrounded by trees and animals. He used his skill to make something beautiful out of what had been an unsightly mess. So guys, I don't know what your tower is. I don't know what yours is, but I do know you have one. And number two, you have one, you need to use it for the Lord. It's this simple tonight, guys. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Guys, there are going to be challenging times. There are going to be times when you say, I can't give. I can't do this. I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to do this. I don't know. I, I'm, I don't have no talent whatsoever. I feel personally I'm one of the most untalented people on the planet. But I'm doing what I can, when I can, how I can, and with what God has given me. And that's all I know to do. That's all I know to tell you tonight. I'm saying this to you this evening, guys, and then I'm finished. Are we well-doing with our time? Are we well-doing with our treasure? Are we well-doing with our talent? It's our uh, personal responsibility to the local New Testament church, guys. If we're wasting our time, if we're wasting our treasure, if we're wasting our talent, then we're putting, we're putting everything and anything away from where it should be used with the hand of God. There's a purpose for us being here. There's a purpose for us to be together. So the question in your heart tonight when you leave here, when we close in prayer, are you going to stop robbing God, both with time, treasure, and talent? Are you going to use it in the way that the Bible has commanded us to use it? Or are you going to continue on the same road? Now remember, repeating the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different outcome, is the definition of insanity. So, beloved, I encourage you tonight. Yeah, there's going to be days. You're going to take your time. You're going to read the Bible. You're going to take your time. You're going to do leaflets. You're going to take your time. You're going to do tracks. John, you're going to do all of these things. And there's something in the back of your mind going to go, man, is this even making a difference? Is anybody even reading this? Is anybody, is any, any am I even, am I, am I making a dent in the world? You're going to ask yourself those questions. There's going to be a time when that thing right there comes around and you know, hey, you looked at the checkbook, you looked at the statement, but you know what you owe and you pay God anyway. There's going to be a time you're going to question whether or not you should do it. And there's going to be a time when you, you've got that talent, whatever it may be, singing talent, playing talent, whatever it is, and you're just questioning, is God really going to use this thing? You know what you need to do? You need to keep on doing it. Keep on moving. Keep on working. Keep on being doing. Keep on being well doing in the Christian life. And in due season, God has given us a promise: we will reap, but only if we faint not. Will you bow your heads tonight, Father in heaven? We thank you, Lord, for who. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy 
this is the last moment you had on this earth. When you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.